no. We get mountain climbing from goats and turn ourselves into goats to do it. Yep. That's the lesson there. We should do this podcast. Yes, we should. We're just really excited to be together. I know. We're doing a podcast about goats. We're doing a pod. This is a podcast called Good Goats, Bad Goats. (laughs) (laughs) Where we rate goats. (laughs) And it's the most fun you're going to have all fucking day because it's just goats. Are you a good witch? No. No. (laughs) I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, it's been naughty to rule your list. Take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. I'm Deanna. I'm Hannah. And we're together again! Oh my god! Sorry for that level. And for your ears. <laughs> well, clearly we're excited about this. Yeah. This thing. This we had a very, very long, prolonged hug that we shared. Yes, we did. And I told her she smelled good. <laughs> it was the best compliment I've gotten in like months, honestly. And guess what, Hannah? What? It's Pride Month, baby. <gasps> Fuck yeah. <laughs> so we've got lots of uh, Pride Month goodies to bring your way. I mean... This is the most wonderful time of the year. That's what we said, I mean, we do tend to talk about, like, queer ladies a lot, regardless of what month it is. Maybe it's because we identify with them just a little bit. Oh, shit. You know. No, you're right. I know. I know. It's very (laughs) self-centered. But also, you know, history has tended to sweep that kind of shit under the rug. So we're going to bring it to the forefront when we can. I agree. Um, Yeah. So... On that note, I think you have like an intro that is relating to Pride Month. It's yeah, it's more relating to it's not so it's not specifically Pride Month, but it is specifically um, based on like transgender rights and how transgender people perform in sports. Yeah. And why that's such an issue for people and also kind of debunking it. A little bit. Which is great because I do think it's kind of a complicated gray area when you have gender segregated sports in the first place. Yes, exactly. And so I this this thread is a little bit um, older. It was it's from a week and a half ago. Um, so, you know, since then, Trump has done a lot of shitty things for transgender rights and. I don't know that we necessarily need to spend a ton of time on that because everybody knows, I'm sure, about all of the various things that are going on. Yeah. Um, but I, so I thought this was an interesting thread. The author is Parker Malloy, who... That name is familiar. But the this tweet was somebody who was basically saying, like, why are we uh, um, letting transgender people enter into the sports of, you know, the the gender that they transitioned to. Like, this is so unfair. And they had a picture of... AKA the gender that they are. Yes, exactly. And they had a picture of a woman who formerly was biologically male and transitioned and is now on a track team. And the picture was her next to another girl on the team and comparing the two of them and basically saying, look at how unfair it is. Physically, the the advantage is just unfair. Okay. Et cetera. I would show it to you, except clearly this person deleted their tweet. Out of shame and probably harassment <laughs> yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, probably. Parker starts, so one thing transphobes like to do is post photos of trans women who gasp, want to compete in school sports and go, but it's not fair. So let me tell you about this picture. This is Cece Telfer. She goes to Franklin Pierce University and she runs track. Right, uh, right-wing websites wrote all sorts of articles throwing an, an absolute fit about her competing. Again, this is NCAA Division Two. So then she posts a picture of a bunch of right-wing, you know, articles throwing a hissy fit about it. Sure. 
To the best of my ability, I wasn't able to find a single other time any of those sites showed even the slightest interest in the NCAA Division II track championships. So anyway, they post this photo. Oh no, she's taller than the two women to her side. Gasp. I'm taller than most women I meet. I mean, (laughs) it's obviously so unfair that she competed against them and took their rightful place on the podium. I'll show you this picture in a minute. Except they both crushed her. It was not even a close race. She came in third in that race, which was a preliminary to qualify for the final. In the final, she finished in sixth place. Sixth. In her other event, the 200 meter, she didn't qualify for the finals at all. She came in 12th in the preliminary. So surely all the places that reported about how unfair it was that she competed, blah, 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 surely they all ran stories about how she lost, right? Nope, not one of them did. Not a single one. Oh, God. She no longer fit their narrative, so they were silent. I honestly don't give a fuck whether the, uh, she says GAF, whatever. I honestly don't give a fuck whether the existence of trans people makes you uncomfortable, and I certainly don't give a fuck what your uh, ignorant thoughts are on sports. So before you reply to this with, but still, I don't think this is fair, just know that I think your opinion is worthless. (laughs) I like that. So anyway, we never ever hear stories about trans, uh, average trans athletes, or rather when we do hear stories about average trans athletes, they're framed as though they are actually unstoppable LeBron James types. Right. A few months ago, there was an article about a trans woman in Brazil who plays pro volleyball. The article hints that she might be in the Olympics and suggests she's super dominant. But she's not really. And she (sighs) almost certainly will not be going to the Olympics. It correctly notes that her testosterone levels are actually lower than that of the average woman. They They do note that she's very tall. Yes. When, when compared to the average woman in the world of so volleyball. Yeah. In the world of volleyball, though, not really. Brazil's no. national team has two women who are 6'4 and 6'5. Oh, I was going to say like 6'2. It's like plenty of women who play volleyball are 6'2. That's that's so tall. Yeah. She posted this little picture, um, this little uh, fact, factoid. Male to female transgender athletes are required to reduce the testosterone in their blood to below 10 nanomoles per liter. Typical values for women, cis women, I assume, are 0.5 to 3.0 nanomoles per liter. And the... So they have to specifically lower their hormones, like shift their hormones in a way that makes them able to qualify to compete. Yes, Wow. Yep. Um, Let's look at another example. Rachel McKinnon is a cyclist. She's also trans. She won a race and right-wingers lost their minds. Uh, One of their headlines was, there's nothing more anti-female than letting biological men compete in women's sports. Oh, my God. Um, Another uh, headline says, transgender cyclist (laughs) lashes out, calls critics questioning his win, transphobic bigots. Yikes. Yikes. She goes, I just don't get why it's so hard. I mean, I get that sports can be a gray area because we've already specifically delineated it in a particular way. Yes. So, like, yes, testosterone does certain things to the chemistry. Like, I think about, uh, uh, like, trans dudes who are wrestling and not allowed to wrestle dudes. And they're fucking kicking the ass of every girl they're wrestling. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, well, that's a, no, we're going to qualify with girls. Like, yeah, but th- but that's an unfair advantage because the amount of testosterone he has in his mm-hmm. system. Yep. Let him wrestle boys. Yep. At this point, his body is changing and has changed. And the hormones are a big part of that. Yes. Um, so she goes on. This is what happened. Someone who has beaten McKinnon, the cyclist, in 11 out of 13 of their head-to-head matchups decides that it's unfair, quote unquote, this time because she happened to lose yeah. so she won all those other times and this one time she loses and she goes Neh. it's because it's because you're trans yeah read mckinnon's quote below it summarizes the problem perfectly uh so jennifer wagner who placed third proclaimed on twitter that mckinnon's win was definitely not fair 
Baffled by Wagner's claim, McKinnon noted that Wagner has actually won 11 out of their 13 head-to-head matchups. This is what the double bind for trans women athletes looks like. When we win, it's because we're transgender and it's unfair. When we lose, no one notices. And it's because we're just not that good anyway. Even when it's the same racer, this is what transphobia looks like. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's especially a particular problem for trans women. Yes. Yes. Because, because cis women are like, but he's a man. And I don't want to compete about against a man. They're just worried yeah. somehow. They, it's making them feel insecure that they're, they won't be able to stack up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, the testosterone and they thing think is that often it must, cited. That it's biology that's somehow giving an advantage, which not when you've, you've transitioned. Clearly not. I mean, clearly that is actually taken into account in ways that we don't talk about. Mm. Uh, except when we talk about them in this way. When you point out that there aren't currently any actual dominant trans athletes in pro slash Olympic sports, people tend to immediately jump to, quote, yet, but we need to put a stop to this because people will transition just to win. No, they won't. (laughs) Yeah, that argument has never held up. Because while people like to pretend that trans people started existing in society in just the past decade, that's simply not true. Nor has their inclusion in sports been some recent phenomenon. The arguments stay the same, and we keep pretending that they're new. On September 5th, uh, on September 5th 1976, more than decades ago, here's someone saying that if tennis player Renee Richards is allowed to compete against women, that it will lead to women's sports being taken over by a giant race of surgically created women. That's in 76? 76. There was a letter to the editor, and um, I can read it. I just feel like it'll be a little bit triggering, so I apologize for anyone listening who may be triggered by this, but she says... um, this, this person writing the letter to the editor said, Dr. Renee Richards is not really a woman. She can pass the chromosome test that women athletes must be able to pass, or sorry, she cannot pass the chromosome test that women athletes must be able to pass to play in the Olympics and other tournaments. Did Is there a chromosome pass? I don't I mean, fucking know. I mean, test to pass? I have no idea. I don't think there is. I don't think there is. They don't test your hormones. No. I mean, your chromosomes. Chromosomes. <laughs> If it is decided that Dr. Richards is truly a woman, then all those Russian female athletes who passed up Olympic competition because they couldn't pass the chromosome test will now be eligible to compete. Women's sports will be taken over by a giant race of surgically created women. No. Blah, blah, blah. And she goes on. Uh, Richards was a mediocre tennis player when she competed pre-transition in men's tournaments, and she was a mediocre tennis player when she competed in women's tournaments after she came out as trans. Why? Because hormones do have an effect. (laughs) And she's mediocre. But hormones do have an effect on these things. Yes. Uh, Quote, yes, well, a man who competes against a woman has an advantage in most sports. End quote. Sure. And... As I've established, a lot of it, that advantage gets worn away by hormone replacement therapy. Yes. Renee Richards lost 40 pounds of muscle as the result of hormone therapy. This is really hard stuff to quantify, but the ridiculous arguments from people with no understanding of the issue, aside from just a gut feeling about how things work, need to be ignored. There's one last point in this thread I want to make. This long, long thread about trans people in sports, and it annoys me more than the misinformation about hormones or advantages or anything like that, what annoys me most, out of everything, is that people use completely unrelated issues, in this case, misinformation about sports, to argue against trans people existing and having basic rights in the first place. Yep. Here's where that person's first tweet came from. It was a response to a tweet about why discrimination in healthcare is wrong. That guy doesn't give a crap about women's sports. None of the people arguing this do. They just think it's a tool to use to fight trans people. It was in response to a tweet by Elizabeth Warren, who was talking about the uh, attack on transgender Americans from Trump and their healthcare. Liz Warren. She's kind of crushing Ugh. it right now. I know. Um, 
so yeah into it i'm, I'm glad she is <laughs> i mean yeah um, so so she says if you're not okay with my existence if you don't think that people like me should be granted the same exact legal protections that people have on the basis of religion race country of origin etc then you should unfollow me right now but i go to sleep wondering what horrors will come next what new policy will be rolled out because people want a group to dump on I'm tired of it. The world should not be like this. Uh, she goes on to talk about the homeless shelters issue that's going on right now. Yep, because Trump is basically saying that <sighs> homeless shelters should be allowed to deny trans people uh, a place to sleep. Yep. Just because they're trans. Yep. Which they were already having a problem with doing that for gay people, which is really great since, you know, gay people and uh, trans people, trans people especially, are far more likely to be homeless. Anyway. Yep. Um, you reminded me of a quote which actually inspired my lady for today. Oh! No, you, you tie in super well. Good. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you know the book The Well of Loneliness? Mm -mm. So it is a book by Radcliffe Hall, which came out in 1928. Hmm. And it is a very explicitly gay book Ooh. and was very banned. Um, it is a lesbian novel uh, by Jonathan Cape, but uh, author Radcliffe Hall, first published in 1928 by Jonathan Cape. Yeah. It follows the life of Stephen Gordon, an English woman from an upper class family whose sexual inversion, as they put it in the book, oh. a.k.a homosexuality is apparent from an early age she finds love with mary llewellyn whom she meets while serving as an ambulance driver in world war one but their happiness together is marred by social isol isolation and rejection which hall depicts as typically suffered by sexual inverts oh. which uh, with predictably debilitating effects the novel portrays inversion as a natural god-given state and makes an explicit plea Quote, give us also the right to our existence. Whoa. So it was it was super, super banned. Uh, a lot of people were like, I'd rather kill my children than let them read this, which Whoa. is insane. Even though it was not sexually explicit, it basically just said they kissed on the lips as lovers and that oh, they God. shared the same bed. That's about as explicit as And it neither got. of them died, probably. Well, as a result of their of their yeah, inversion. I don't think it ended happily, which is it it why today it uh, creates a lot of really healthy debate about um, depictions of gay people as as social pariahs and yeah. persistently tortured, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally just because they're gay and it's yeah. a lot of self put on. Like I think her relationship doesn't end up going well because she feels like she can't give to her wife in essence what she needs. Interesting. Anyway, um, but yeah, that quote, the give us also the right to our existence. Yes. Is a is insane. It's like, the, and I feel like, you know, we've come a long way since 1928. But it's weird. The things I will note from my person, how pendulums swing. Okay. Back and forth and back and forth. And yeah. how sometimes it seems like progress is being made and it goes back. And how sometimes the past can be simultaneously... Um, more backward, but then also more accepting in oh, certain yeah. ways because things Mine are Mine is new. like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know if you saw, but on May 25th, so really recently, the World Health Organization has officially said that being trans is not a mental illness. Oh. So it has been officially disqualified from that. Oh, wow. Categorization. All right. Which is really awesome. Huge. Awesome. 
Um, so that like just happened. And then um, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, whatever fucking feelings you may have <laughs> yeah. about him, just announced um, because it's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots mm. this year and yes. because also it's Pride Month. Um, there are plans for the city to erect statues of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, oh. who are two very well-known trans women of color who were at the forefront of the uh, movement back then yep. and worked, you know, their their lives. You know, Marsha's was cut shorter, but um, yeah. worked their lives to help progress those issues. Yeah. So um, I feel like that really inspired me. And... Um, so this week, I want to talk about one of the very first American women to receive gender confirmation surgery. Ooh. She was certainly not the first person in the world to undergo that type of surgery, but she was the first American who became a celebrity because oh. of it. And her name was Christine Jorgensen. I think I came across her in my search. Yes. Yes. But I don't know anything about her. Right. So I want to talk about like the first famous American trans woman. Oh my God. Tell me everything. Mm -hmm. um, my sources all that's interesting.com, Mashable, New York Times, Wired, NYC, LGBT sites.org, and uh, outhistory.org. Check you out. Boom. Damn. So. Um, she was born George Jorgensen Jr. on May 30th, 1926, to parents, obviously, George Jorgensen and Florence Davis Hanson Jorgensen in the Ooh, Bronx. That is a mouthful. So she's from the Bronx. She's okay. a New Yorker. Um, basically, she had like a really pleasant upbringing. Um, she lived in a nice neighborhood where um, she and her sister were enrolled in public school. She attended summer camps, went on vacations. It was a pretty typical white middle-class upbringing for that time. Yeah. Uh, but she reports in her autobiography that from an early age, she noticed that she felt very different from other boys that were her age. Um, she said that she knew by age four or five that she wasn't a boy. Oh. She just knew right away. Um, and she hated everything associated with boys as a child. She hated short hair, boys' clothing, didn't enjoy things like fighting or participating in sports, like many <laughs> of the boys her age, which is funny because in a lot of the research I did, I realized that a lot of it specifically, too, has to do with very rigid gender roles at the time. Yeah. Which maybe in some ways made it easier to realize that you weren't male. That's true. But yeah. I'm not going to like say that it's a bad thing, but <laughs> there's more forgiveness and more openness there now. Right. Um, but there also wasn't as much of an in-between as we have now, mm -hmm. which I do wonder how many how many people at that time who ended up sort of swinging to the other end of that spectrum because that was the other acceptable end of the spectrum. Yeah. Like how many of them now would maybe end up somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have no yeah. way of knowing, but it is interesting it's to interesting think about. It's interesting to think about that, right? Um, she didn't like sports, fighting, toy trucks, or cars, wanted to play with other girls and baby dolls. Um, she was uh, very envious of her sister, Dorothy, especially as they started to hit puberty. Oh. Um, she, Having that example, yeah, I think, must have been. She resented her long hair, because obviously you weren't yeah. even allowed to have long hair at that time Ugh. as a boy. Um, and she resented that she and her sister were becoming less and less alike the Aww. older they became. Um, she would later state, uh, feelings concerning her identity made her feel extremely unhappy and hopeless. Um, she knew something was different inside, but felt she couldn't do anything about it. Like, I, I think even just the knowledge that there, that you weren't unusual and yeah. you, it didn't exist. You couldn't go research it. There wasn't even in books in the library. Right. You know, you There's had, no way to quantify what you're feeling. Like it's let alone look it up on the internet, you yeah. know. Um she said that as she progressed through her childhood, people surrounding her also began to notice she was in fact different from other boys, but just summed it up as exhibiting quote female tendencies. Oh boy. So people knew <laughs> from a very early age, like, oh, your son is your son is very girly, exhibiting female tendencies always. So Ugh, anyway, as Christine reached her teenage years, it became more obvious to her and others around her that she was different from the boys. One thing in particular that stood out to her was that she was attracted to men and some of her male friends. Ooh, yeah. um, she later recalled she never received any of the same feelings from them in return. So she never like 
acted on that. Acted on that. Um, she felt very confused and torn about her sexuality and her attraction to men um, because she refused to admit or accept the fact that she was a gay man because she knew that wasn't what was going on with her. Right. She's like, I'm not a gay. I'm attracted to men, but I'm not a gay man. Like, I'm not a man. I'm not a man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what she basically felt and and was terrified to express to other people that she said uh, felt in her own words that she was a woman trapped inside a man's body. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not always the experience of non-binary or trans folks, but right. this is her experience. So um, that's that's how she felt. That's what she says. Yeah. Um, uh, she says that she felt like she was lost between the two sexes and she took refuge in the solitude that photography and its accompanying dark rooms provided her. Oh. So she liked kind of hiding in the dark. She was very shy. Yeah. Um, she graduated from high school in 1945 and tried unsuccessfully to enlist in the army twice and was rejected because of her small stature. Oh, my God. <laughs> but Aww. six months after her, uh, less than six months after her second rejection, she was drafted because World War II was happening. <laughs> no choice now. Uh-huh. But um, again, she was small um, and still presenting male. And so was allowed in, but couldn't have more than a desk job because they didn't. How small? Do you know? No, I don't okay. exactly know. Um, she, it says, even though she tried her best to fulfill the male gender role, especially by enlisting in the army, she still just felt like she never fit in. Yeah. Um, she was in the army for a little over a year. She kind of was hanging back from the other soldiers. She didn't really feel like she wanted to hang out with them, uh, rarely interacted with them. And not long after enlisting, she was honorably discharged because she got sick. I don't, they didn't exactly say why, but she got an honorable discharge. So she moved to Hollywood in hopes of finding a job as a photographer. Oh, yeah. Um, but soon discovered that wasn't necessarily easy because <laughs> Hollywood is saturated, saturated, and it's always been difficult. So, but her move to Hollywood wasn't like a total wash because it was the first time she was able to open up to friends and um, express her personal confusion and turmoil that she'd been experiencing her whole life, oh. and confided in in two of her closest friends that she felt like she had quote the emotions of a girl. She thought she was a girl. Um, and in 1948, she returned to the East Coast, enrolled in photography classes uh, in New Haven. Uh, but she continued to look for answers concerning her feelings and turmoil. While in Connecticut, she read about an endocrinologist who was performing hormonal experiments with animals. Um, she wondered if that might possibly be the answer she had always searched for. She contacted uh, an endocrinologist there, Dr. Harold Grayson, who immediately rejected her. <laughs> Um, she, she said she wanted to go under, uh, she wanted to undergo hormonal treatment to fix what she felt was wrong is what she said. Oh my God. Um, but the doctor instead referred her to a psychiatrist, um, so that she could get help in ridding herself of her female inclinations. Right. But yeah. she had the courage to be like, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. I don't think that there's something wrong with me in the way that you say something's right. wrong with me. You don't need to put me on lithium. Just she, to like... she said that she felt there had to be a biological reason for what she was feeling. Good for her. Um, but that's hard, to, especially when especially you have Especially so at many that people. time, because in America at that time, conversion therapy, even for being gay, was the name of the game. Right. Always. Like, I know it still exists now, but that was always the answer back then. Right. You can, you can go back to how nature intended you to be mm-hmm. if you just, you know, get yeah. a little a little bit of this electrode going. Yeah. So she started to do some research and realized that she could go overseas and get surgery. Oh. To yeah. to help her like figure out what was going on with her and find her true self. Um yeah. so she initially planned that to go to Sweden because she'd been reading that they had been doing um uh, sex changes is what they call them then um, in Sweden. Uh, so, but she actually went to go visit some relatives. Of course, in, it would in, be sweet in Denmark first. Um, and she met a doctor who would change her life. And he has a funny name, so deal with me here. His <laughs> uh. name is Doctor Christian Hamburger. Ah, but he was an endocrinology specialist in hormone therapy, and he decided to take on her case free of charge. Aww. and he confirmed her. As the first medical professional, and I'm sure this must have been a crazy moment for her, that she was not gay and confirmed that she was a trans woman, which back then they called it a transsexual. But 
Um, right. They, he confirmed to her that she was not crazy. Right. That the way she felt was legitimate. And oh my God. Yeah. Which is, must I have can't been, yeah. even imagine. Yeah. So finally, she had answers that confirmed what she always felt and knew to be true. Um, under his care, she started taking hormone therapy, which was relatively new, and that was paramount to successful gender reassignment. Yeah. Because before that, um, those types of surgeries were pretty much just kind of cut and paste and didn't include hormone therapy. Oh, yikes. And But then they realized that hormone therapy was kind of the key to making sure that, you know, the patient could be successful in, in seamlessly transitioning in a way that made them feel more comfortable and passing yeah. it was for their safety and things. Right, like the lowering or raising of the voice yeah. and getting rid of facial hair or adding it on, depending on who you are. Yeah. I mean, hormone therapy does a lot of things that pure surgery Because you can just get do. breast implants as a cis man. Mm-hmm. Like, some people do it for jokes and pranks. Like, that was a thing I saw. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, lordy. Um, okay. But, like, that that won't make you stop growing facial hair. No. You know? Right. Or ha- keeping you from having a deep voice or... Anyway. Anyway. So, she decided she was going to take the name Christine as a way to pay tribute to her doctor. Aww. What was her doctor's name? Christian. Christian. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. The Danish government approved Jorgensen's request to undergo reassignment surgery. And in September 1951, she had her first surgery, which was an orchiectomy, which is the removal of the testicles. I had to look that up. Oh. Um, 13 months later, she received a penectomy, which I didn't have to look up. I can guess that one. Um, yep, yep. Upon her 1953 return to the United States, a mass of journalists met her at the gates, hoping to catch a glimpse, snap a picture, or ask questions of Miss Jorgensen as she arrived. I will note the Danish royal family was also aboard that flight, and the press pretty much ignored them. How, it's so interesting that this seems to be a theme of a lot of the people in our in our previous episodes who are denied something in America and so they go to Europe to do it and are you know they're they're affirmed it's like yes this thing that you want to do you can do it here and they go and they do it and then they come back to America and Americans are like oh my god we've never seen one of you before and they get out their cameras and they take a bunch of pictures and Mm -hmm. it's crazy it's crazy that that seems to be a thing that happens a lot especially in this, in this sort of time period yeah the, the early to mid 20th century yeah um in june 1952 christine shared the news of her sex change with her family in a letter where she wrote quote i have changed changed very much as my photos will show but i want you to know that i'm an extremely happy person and the real me not the physical me has not changed i'm still the same old brud but nature made a mistake which i've corrected and i'm now your daughter Her family apparently was very open and welcoming and declared that their love for their daughter was still the same as it had been before, which is insane. This is what I'm talking about. Like, I'm so surprised by so much of her story. Like, not to say she didn't face hardship because she certainly did, as I will get into. But like. There wasn't time necessarily for that conservative, like, For people to have preconceived sort of judgment. Yeah. It was just like, well, you're my family. And because, like, being gay was a thing that people knew about, that was talked about, blah, blah, blah. So people could shun people for that. Mm -hmm. But this, even though it's always existed, has very much been in the shadows. And for her to have no knowledge of this as a child, but feel very much, like, racked with with self-doubt and like I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me feeling that way is awful and then finding it and then introducing your family to it yeah and she had the backing of a doctor too so like the doctor could uh, tell the family I mean at the very least the presence of the doctor could say like this is the reality, yes. you know? It's a medical condition, at Back least at that time. people believed more in science and doctors yeah. and stuff. Um, anyway, so um, more along that mm. vein, the New York Daily News had, oh. a, like, a front-page story of her. Wow. Uh, and December 1st, it was before she came home, like a couple months before she came home, and it was the headline, XGI becomes blonde bombshell. Jesus. <laughs> Which is crazy because it just make their not only were they like, holy shit, look at this, but they're like, look how beautiful she is. 
<laughs> we think she's so pretty. Which is crazy to me, considering just how fraught the media is today. Anyway. Um, oh, I know. It's totally different. After this first newspaper revelation, more and more reporters wanted in on the sensational story, and she became an immediate media, media sensation, which is why, as previously mentioned, when she came home to New York, it was 300 reporters that met oh. her at Idlewild, which is now JFK Airport. Jesus. Um, they hounded her parents for information, which forced them to stay with relatives. Oh, God. Um, her story apparently... It, it was like a lightning rod for many post-World War II anxieties about gender and sexuality. It called dramatic attention to issues that would, of course, later drive the feminist and gay rights movements in the decades ahead. Um, so they were like, yeah. the media was obsessed with her physical presentation. The media was obsessed with her physical presentation. Um, they picked at every detail of how she looked, which, unsurprising, because... She's a woman. They were obsessed. Yeah. Um, they they were like in awe. They buzzed constantly about how feminine she looked, how graceful she was, and how successful her transition was. Oh my like god! Like she was such a woman. Oh my god! Oh. They wanted to know everything about her. Did she have a boyfriend? Did she want to get married? She used all the media attention to her advantage. Um, she, after returning to New York, began to make appearances where she shared her story. Like in college, she did like college campus tours. Oh. Um, and she also like started a nightclub act, which is crazy because in, this is my total interjection to me is that when she presented as male, all the research I did on her, um, she was like devastatingly shy. Um, she didn't want to be in the spotlight and and like the first video you see of her when she comes back when she is at JFK airport like there's all these reporters asking her like hey uh, have you been offered a movie contract and she's like yes but I don't think I'm going to take it and they're like have you ever thought about a life in the theater like you know the classic 1940s 1950s report have you ever thought about a life in the theater and she's like no I have I haven't thought about having a life in the theater but no, I don't think that's for me because she's a photographer in her mind. That's what she is. Yeah. So even when she first transitions, she's still very like, no, I've never thought about that. But then, of course, the media is constantly hounding her and she adjusts really well to her new limelight. She doesn't have that dysphoria anymore. Correct. But also, you know, she's able to, you know, use what was her because she she talked about how she hated it at first. All the attention. Yeah. She's not used she, to she it. was basically kind of like, I'm not that interesting or special. What the hell? Yeah. But then decided she was going to use her platform to help others like her. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so that's I just thought that was interesting. Um, her gender confirmation surgery gave her confidence and a light that she never realized she had before. That's my editorializing. Um, yeah, media outlets were clamoring to interview her. They she gave exclusive story rights to American Weekly magazine, apparently. Oh. And they paid her $20,000 back then, which was a lot of money. Yes. I mean, it's a lot of money today. Um God, The yeah. fascination lasted for a few months before giving way to intense scrutiny. Uh -oh. uh many believe that her surgeries were literally giving her eggs fallopian tubes and a menstrual period insinuating that she could have children and become a mother because people just didn't they have just a fucking clue they didn't know what it meant wow um after a few months though it became clear that she had no desire to be a mother and uh many called her womanhood into question which you know even cis women experience that <laughs> um but especially, I think, if you're trans, it's like, well, what do you mean? People became angry and frightened with, when confronted with a sexual identity that existed on a spectrum and not the male-female binary. Um, she was engaged in 1959 and was denied a marriage license because her birth certificate still said male. So, um, oh, But man. also her uh, fiancé, Howard Knox, apparently lost his job in Washington, D.C. when the <gasps> engagement became public. Oh. So it's like this fascination is not acceptance. No. Yeah. It, it's it's they'll tolerate you, your curiosity, and they'll want you in the room with them, but you can't have basic rights. Um, it's too so, scary. Yeah. It's too scary. And so they split up. Fuck. Oh. Um, yeah. Over time. The press would become more overtly nasty and salacious in correspondence with Jorgensen. Many in print uh, asked if she would pose nude for them. 
because I mean, exists wow. even today, like a constant fascination with the genitalia and bodies of trans people. Right. Let's see how good they got people. it. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yikes. Um, yeah, and, no, it's fucked. And for a while, um, she would often laugh off quips such as, quote, Christine Jorgensen went abroad and came back abroad. Ha, 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 But apparently uh, she sometimes had limits because uh, she walked off the set of the Dick Cavett show because he inquired about her physical relationships with her wife, which I don't really know what that means. But basically she found it insulting and walked off and he had no other guests planned. So he spent the rest of the time talking about how he didn't mean to offend her. But clearly she had a good sense of humor and he was just being shitty. Um, yeah, you can have a good sense of humor and still not tolerate people being dicks to you. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying, like, she's willing to to put up with some Yeah, ribbing. some level of that. Yeah. Jesus. Um, anyway, um, amid the public scrutiny and discrimination, she remained resolute in her decisions. In a note to her family... Uh, oh, yeah, it's a continuation. Um, she says, remember the shy, miserable person who left America? Well, that person is no more. Aww. Uh, though Christine stated that all she wanted was a quiet life of her own design, initially despised the media attention she garnered upon her return. She used the spotlight to have quite a lucrative career as an entertainer, actress and nightclub singer. Uh, quote, at first I was very self-conscious and very awkward, she said in an interview in 1970. But once the notoriety hit, it didn't take me long to adjust. I decided if they wanted to see me, they would have to pay for it. <laughs> she would perform uh, the song I Enjoy Being a Girl and wore a Wonder Woman costume. And she would perform in nightclubs on the Upper East Side I in New York. I love that. Yep. Um, she even recorded a number of songs and continued to tour university campuses talking about her experiences. Um, she considered herself one of the mothers of the sexual revolution, which really? I find interesting. Yeah. And in 1967, she uh, penned an autobiography, and the autobiography was turned into a, a movie in 1970. Oh. Um, she retired to California in the 1980s and uh, sadly lost her battle with lung and bladder cancer in 1989. She was like 63. Okay. Which is pretty young. Um, yeah. The year she died, she was quoted as saying that she believed she had given the sexual revolution a, quote, good swift kick in the pants. Aww. And there was one quote that um, I watched that was an interview that she did where they were asking her about women's liberation, the women's lib movement. And I just thought it was a great quote. So I want to end with women's lib is also men's lib. You cannot have a liberated woman without a liberated man. Yes. I think it's human liberation. Yes, 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 yes. Because the the whole nature of the interview was basically like, you know what it's like on both sides of the coin. How do you feel about this? Ugh. I mean, that encapsulates so much of what we want now when we talk about, like, feminism. Mm-hmm. We just want men and women not to be caged by gender norms and societal norms correct and that's awesome i mean damn yeah good so that, for that her. was christine jorgensen christine who was definitely not the first american trans woman but the first american trans celebrity in the 20th century yeah, yeah. and you know the power to say like i know that there is something very specific about what i'm dealing with that is not a psychiatric problem and I'm gonna reach out to people even if they're in fucking Europe to help me deal with it in as healthy way as possible healthy is healthy as what uh, nope <laughs> in as healthy a way as possible <laughs> wow you. good lord we're back oh Jesus but you know what I'm saying like yes. it's it, that is powerful because so many people these days are taught, well, what your doctor has to say is law. <laughs> like, second opinions aren't meaningful. Your doctor knows what they're doing. They're a doctor. Right. You know? And she had the guts and the and the bravery to say, I know there is something very specifically at, at issue and I'm going to address it and it's not my mental health. And it's not the issues that you're telling me I have. It's not the issues you're telling me I have. And I'm going to find somebody who agrees with me and she did. And thank God. What was funny is that in the, the interview, they they seemed to be confused. The guy was like, well, 
you live in California and so many of your friends are, are members of the, the homosexual community, but you're not, you're a, you're a woman who's attracted oh, to men. So like, why are your friends so many, why do you have so many homosexual friends? What? And it was just like one of those things where it, it's been obvious. It's obvious to me why the, the community is intertwined in the way that it is. Yes. But it's just interesting that they're like, why do you have so many gay dude friends? And it's like, um, because they accept me and I accept them. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's an acceptance issue. <laughs> oh, my God. I, if there is one community that will accept me for who I am, I'm going to engage with them. But I mean, also, also and it's very true even today, like many, many trans women like begin in the gay community right as as gay presenting men absolutely you know they know that that's not what's going on with them but everybody has their own sort of journey and so it's like you make right. friends because they accept you as who you are and usually when you come out as trans they still accept you i know there's a lot of transphobia in the gay community but like it's more there Toler- are steps, you know, you know, to to getting to where you need to be. Right. You, you not everybody wakes up and goes, I am not I am not the gender I am supposed to be. And so I'm going to transition tomorrow. That's not how it works. No, you need to build up your community. You need to build up your friend group, the people who will take care of you and help you through those things. Yeah. And every Every time you have a milestone in transitioning, like those people end up being oftentimes your de facto family because so many trans people, their families are not there for them. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of why. I mean, it's it's really important yeah. that they find that community beforehand. And after, I don't know. And she, after. she made some joke. She was like an older woman by that time, and and she made a joke about. Um, she was like, "Why would I want to like uh, if I'm going to some event? Of course, I'm going to want a gay man by my side. They do it better." <laughs> and the guy was like so confused. He's like, "By do it better, you mean?" And she's like, "They dress better and they're better dates. Like, what are you talking about? Fashion?" And he's like, "Oh, like... I was confused because I feel like they wouldn't be interested in you." She's like, "No, they definitely would not be interested in me." <laughs> Like, this guy's just like, what? Oh, Jesus Christ. This straight white dude is like, how (laughs) does it work? Oh, my God. Oh, gay men men will sleep with you? No, you idiot. I'm a woman. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Don't you have friends you don't fuck? (laughs) Regardless of gender? I have that, too. (laughs) They only think about their relationships in terms of can I fuck this or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can I fuck this? Can I fuck this? Do I want to fuck you? Do I want no, to fuck then this? you're my friend. Do I want to fuck you? Yes. Okay, well, then I'm going to pour my emotional energy into you. <laughs> oh, that, oh, we... that you just want to be fr- mm-hmm. friend zoning. Friend zoning. No, that's what friendship is. That um, was that was fucking awesome. I just feel like it's important. Um, what a great way to kick off pride. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I thank you. I was I was hoping it might be, especially just because of the the declaration that being trans is not a mental illness and doesn't need psychiatric help um, by the World Health Organization. I thought that was great. And then the statues of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. I'm like, this. what a great like moment we're having for trans women right now, even if our current political administration sucks. sucks. Balls. Oh, <sighs> God. Yeah. Let's let's end on the happier note. Tell me about some on stuff that happened. Yeah. Okay. So, a lot of cool stuff happened because uh, we're getting into that time where people are active. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, the crazy time of year yeah. when shit just is happening constantly. constantly. Yeah. So this episode drops June fifth, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, June fifth, eighteen thirty-seven, and this one's very particular to me. Houston is incorporated by the Republic of Texas. Ah, back when Texas was still a republic. What's funny wow. is that I realized my mom brought this up. Hi, mom. Um, that uh, Texas and California are the only two uh, U.S. states that were republics on the mainland before being oh. incorpor- like you know by colonizers. Yep. Before they became part of the United States. That is very interesting. Yeah. I didn't 
think about that. No. Um, 1849, uh, this was, I thought, applicable because of Christine Jorgensen. Denmark becomes a constitutional monarchy by signing the new constitution. Well, well, well. 1851, Harriet Beecher Stowe's anti-slavery serial Uncle Tom's Cabin or Life Among the Lowly starts a 10-month run in the National Era abolitionist newspaper. Interesting. Yep. June 5th, 1893, Lizzie Borden's trial begins in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Oh, shit! Which I thought was bonkers. Okay, for people who don't know who Lizzie Borden is. Uh, she killed her parents. <laughs> she stabbed <laughs> her axe. parents. Uh, yeah. What's but- the rhyme? Isn't there a rhyme? Lizzie Borden... No, there is, but oh, fuck something about and they 10, just made a wax. movie actually with Chloe Sevigny and uh, Kristen Stewart about yeah, how Lizzie did. Borden was queer, and I was like, what? And there's definitely not enough uh, evidence to 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 say that didn't happen. Yeah, it was like she was like lifelong friends with this woman. Mm. Mm. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, continue. 1915, June 5th update denmark amends its constitution to allow women's suffrage what well done denmark well done denmark on uh the anniversary of you actually creating a constitutional monarchy uh june 5th 1916 lewis brandeis is sworn in as a justice of the u.s supreme court he is the first american jew to hold such a position really what year did you say 1916 damn okay uh, 1949, Thailand elects Orapin Chayakan, uh, the first female member of Thailand's parliament. Wow. 1949. Wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, 1956, Elvis Presley introduces his new single, Hound Dog, which he didn't write, oh, um, on the Milton Berle show, scandalizing the audience with his suggestive hip movements. Oh my God. And if anyone who listened to our Rosetta Tharp episode. Boom. You might have yeah, heard black us talk woman, about this. A black woman wrote Hound Dog. Anyway. Damn straight. Um, 1989. This is the last one. The tank man halts the progress of a column of advancing tanks for over half an hour after the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989. So that happened oh. on this day 30 years ago. Wow. Yep. Thank you very much. What are you excited about this week? Okay. So I'm actually, it's funny, it's perfectly timed for Pride. I found a new podcast slash Instagram person that I love. And um, the podcast is Outfit. And the host is Ellen Ford. And she is not trans. And she doesn't consider herself non-binary. I think the best term is gender non-conforming. But she still goes by she, her. Is she just a butch woman? She got top surgery recently. And so it's like, it's beyond being just butch, I think. Okay. There is definitely a masculine like energy about her her voice is masculine but top surgery is is as far as she wants to go that's like that is all she, she really needed boobs. she didn't want boobs um she see she mentioned Which i understand that feel yeah <laughs> as a, oh my god as a, 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 a busty woman oh boy yeah i know we want to talk about gender dysphoria that's a whole nother topic but but for she, me it's just sweatiness <laughs> She she experienced some uh, some gender dysphoria that she decided did not she didn't relate into non-binariness and like that's all right that's okay I think that's one of the most interesting things about her is that she is somebody who is gender non-conforming and has experienced gender dysphoria which is something that a lot of people we it's hard to quantify um it's hard to explain yeah sure and if you've never experienced it, it's especially hard to, like, get you to understand it, especially if the person who's experiencing it is still presenting as whatever gender they've been assigned. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's all very complicated. And it's one of the reasons why I'm glad that people are able to kind of do whatever they want these days in terms of. More so than in the past. Yeah. yeah especially way more so. somewhere here like New York City. Yes, exactly. I, I don't speak for BFE, but well, yeah. But and she's in LA, so it's another again, like LA is for sure. very similar. For sure. Um, but so her her podcast is called Outfit. It's four episodes long, and each episode is only about fifteen minutes. But it's about 
that. It's about being gender nonconforming, having gender dysphoria, and how you dress yourself hmm. and why. And she talks to a couple of different brands who are catering to specifically that community hmm. um, okay. and and what they do to do that and why they got into that business, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just really cool. And she also did an outfit. Okay. Yeah. And her name is Ellen Ford. And she is on Instagram as, I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt. And she is a comedian as well. So she's known. Like, she has a following. Um, But, you know, it's, I just feel like the more people I know of like that in the world, the better I feel, too. And so, I don't know. I'm just I'm excited about finding her and that podcast and um, I think it's really I just think it's really cool and it's yeah and it's it's feels good that I found it right in time for pride because now I can tell people about it during pride month that's awesome yeah yeah I feel like that's a bigger conversation that one could have that's much more um, deeply philosophical about how we've had such rigid gender roles that if you're gender non-conforming, what is that like? Can you still identify as that? And you certainly can in my book. But it's just interesting to me how, like, especially trans people have to to I feel like super conform to a lot of gender norms in order to pass and mm-hmm. be deemed acceptable or worthy. Yeah, and it's cool that we're starting to have conversations and kind of break down those barriers so that things, I think if things were just looser and cooler, then we would be good. Right. If it wasn't like boys have to wear blue and girls have to wear pink and that's the only thing And that, it's like if your blah, son blah, wears blah, blah, pink, blah. he's gay or he's he thinks he's a girl. And it's like, that, feel like not Barbies. necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's it really is so ridiculous. Because that's the thing is that like with Christine, it's like she wanted to play with dolls. And like, I'm sure lots of boys want to play with dolls. Totally. And that's fine. I, that's not specifically what was happening to her. But it's like she felt weird. Like, I'm sure a lot of boys feel like they can't do things that are, again, talking about being like trapped in, in patriarchal norms yeah you boys feel like they can't do things because they're girly and girly is bad right girly makes you not a man and not being a man is terrible (laughs) oh deanna um dude uh it's good to be back with you it's so good to be back with you you gotta go watch our planet later uh yeah and oh uh you oh, guys, yeah. Gentleman Jack. Gentleman Jack is an HBO show now. Fuck yes. Last month for Pride Month, Hannah did an amazing episode about Ann Lister. Last year. Last Pride Month. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We did Ann Lister slash Gentleman Jack. And we did mention that HBO was doing something. We weren't sure it what. It was still in pre-production at Still the time. in pre-pro. Yeah. And now it is out. And apparently it's really good. I haven't watched it yet. But we got to watch it. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. So go watch it. Go watch the beautiful gayness of, speaking of gender roles. Gender non-conforming. Really? She was, but she wanted her women to be gender conforming. Yes, she did. She's a very interesting woman. Yes, she was. So go watch it. Go do that. Support that shit. And go listen to our episode if you haven't. Yeah. We'll link to it in the show notes. And we will check in with you mid-June or mid-ish June for the next Pride Month episode. And until then, peace out, witches. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us 
you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.